Hey guys, today I'm trying something I've never done before and airing another podcast episode in my own feed. There are a couple reasons why I'm doing this. Number one, I'm so stoked about Christy Katzman's new podcast, Life Unscripted. You may remember Christy as the lead from the Fox reality show, Labor of Love, and as a guest from one of the final episodes in season one of the Single Greatest Choice podcast. Christy has also become a friend, and she's someone who shares my mission of encouraging and empowering women whose paths may look different than what we expected. Christy's new podcast will focus on women, wellness, and motherhood, and she so graciously invited me to be one of her very first guests. I wanted to air this episode here so that you'd be encouraged to subscribe to her show, because if you like The Single Greatest Choice, I know you're going to like her show as well. Like, seriously, what are you waiting for? See that little magnifying glass at the bottom of your podcast app? Click on that, type in the Life Unscripted podcast, and hit subscribe now. The second reason I wanted to share this episode with you is because it's a good recap of my own story, and maybe it has some details that you haven't heard before. As I listened back to this episode, I was really struck by what an incredible journey I've had to motherhood. There's a part towards the end where Christy says something along the lines of, in a way, you really did get your Hallmark-worthy happy ending. And when I heard her say that, I was like, holy shit, she's right. The thing is, not every step of this journey has felt purposeful. Not all of it has made sense. Some of it's been incredibly confusing, time-consuming, expensive, stressful, isolating, and sad. Of course I've had those days. But what's also true is that this journey has been incredibly wonderful in ways I could never have imagined. It's not the way I expected to become a mom, but you know what else I didn't expect? For it to feel so uncomplicated and perfect and exactly the way it was meant to be. You guys, I'm not kidding when I say that I never thought that solo motherhood would feel like anything other than a consolation prize. But now it's exactly where I want to be at exactly this time with exactly this baby. I feel like it's important for me to acknowledge that my story is laced with privilege. Advantages that I did not create or control that I know not everyone has access to. Things like a family and friends who've supported me emotionally and financially, a job with the flexibility to attend one billion doctor's appointments without losing pay, living in a city where I have easy access to multiple fertility clinics so that I was able to find an RE who was the right fit for me, and a body that, though we've had some ups and downs, did provide me with more healthy embryos than were statistically reasonable to hope for. I get that those things from the outside and even from the inside might be perceived as unfair advantages. So you might be tempted to think, well, of course everything is working out for her. She has X, Y, and Z that I don't. And while there may be some truth to that, what's also true is that part of what makes my circumstances feel so positive is that I make a conscious choice to focus on the ways things have worked out for me and to make that the dominant narrative. It takes a lot of practice. You'll hear me talk in this episode about a relationship that spanned the last few years, and you'll notice that I never have anything but positive things to say about that connection. What I want you to know is that I know exactly what thoughts I could think right now about that same relationship that would leave me feeling hurt and misunderstood and abandoned. But I can also conjure the thoughts that allow me to feel loved and supported by that same person. Both narratives are true and I've practiced the one that I want to be the truest for me. I say all this because I want you to know that no matter what your circumstances, a positive, empowering narrative is available to you. 
Nothing has to change other than your thoughts to make where you are exactly the place you want to be. This kind of shift is available for anyone who's willing to put in the work of learning to choose their thoughts. If that idea is appealing to you, I highly encourage you to find a coach or a book or a podcast or someone who can support you as you learn. Please feel free to reach out to me if you want to talk more about that. And in the meantime, I hope that you enjoyed this interview with me and Christy Katzman of the Life Unscripted podcast. Welcome to the Life Unscripted podcast, where we dive into what it means to be a modern woman taking the road less traveled. I'm your host, Christy Katzman. Join me and my guests as we share the lessons we've learned along the way and explore the choices we face and risks we're willing to take to have it all. Like I always say, just keep moving forward and remember, stay open to your very own Life Unscripted. Meet Katie B., one of my favorite fellow single mothers by choice and creator of the Single Greatest Choice podcast, all about navigating solo motherhood and creating community. Katie has somehow managed to take what is often a messy and overwhelming journey and turn it into a well-researched and organized plan filled with so much heart. She's an educator by day and life coach specializing in hitting snooze on your biological clock by night. When people ask me what I wish I would have known when I started out on this journey, my new answer is Katie. Listen in as Katie recounts dating in her 30s. Spoiler, she went on 50 first dates in six months. Yes, 50. And how it led to her own single greatest choice and what she learned along the way. Katie is generous and inspiring and a woman you definitely need to know. She's an incredible resource and an even better friend. And I'm so excited to get to introduce you to her today. So get ready because here comes Katie. Hi, Katie. Hi, Christy. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, welcome to the show. We actually met when I did your podcast, The Single Greatest Choice, and you've been a huge inspiration for me, not only on the Single Mothers by Choice journey, but in actually getting my own podcast launched. So I'm loving that the tables are turned today and I get to interview you. Uh, Me too, me too. I don't know which side is harder, the, the, the one who's interviewing or the one who's being interviewed. I'm never nervous to interview other people, but I feel a little like, how's this gonna go for me? That's so funny because I mean, maybe just because I got used to doing interviews and I feel like I kind of do that for work too, but I actually think it's so much harder to be the interviewer than the interviewee. And that shocked me. So I admire you even more now that I'm trying to do it on this side. Well, we'll wing it and it'll be great. Okay. Well, everyone definitely has to go check out Katie's podcast, The Single Greatest Choice. It's amazing. And you're going to learn a lot of things if you're on this journey yourself. You actually get a lot of information through other women. I love that about your podcast. You hear a lot of different stories that are very personal and very different. Somehow it all works out in the end. And I feel like you get this much more well-rounded picture of what it really means to try to pursue motherhood, particularly when you're doing it on your own. For those people that have not yet, Katie, can you just do a little introduction about yourself and tell us a little bit about your journey so far? Sure. So my name is Katie. Um, I live in Austin, Texas, and I love it here. I really have had a very happy life. Things have generally worked out for me. I mean, not that I haven't worked hard for them, but I also have been just very privileged and having a great family and a great career and great relationships. And um, I did get married when I was relatively young and it wasn't a bad 
relationship or a bad marriage. We just were so young when we got married. We kind of grew up together. We dated from 18 or I was with him from the time I was 18 to the time I was 28. And I'm so thankful for that experience, but also it just became very clear that we weren't in it for the long haul. And one of the main factors that led to our divorce was he started to just really consider that he maybe did not want children. I think because that relationship was not one that necessarily felt like it was doomed or headed towards divorce, I looked at that as, well, of course, I'm going to go on and get married and have kids because otherwise my whole life story does not make sense. Like it does not make sense that I would leave a good marriage because of this thing that I so deeply wanted and then not have it. So that's really been like the biggest struggle and mystery of my thirties is like, why the heck is this taking so long? Why is it so hard? Why is this not happening for me? It must've been a bit of a shock though, for you going from dating in college, basically to trying to date in your late twenties, early thirties. Yes. I had never really dated because I had one high school boyfriend and then I met my ex-husband the very first day that I came back to campus for my sophomore year. And then that was it. I was 28 on the other side of that. So I never really dated because I was in this 10 year relationship all through my twenties. And so when I divorced, it was 2010, did end up meeting someone just through happenstance. I had an almost two year relationship where we did get engaged and I just knew that it was wrong. And I could feel myself projecting forward, like, you know, maybe I could have a kid or two and then we could like amicably divorce and like, would that be so terrible? And I knew when I had the ring on my finger and I was already thinking about the divorce, that it just wasn't something that I was going to go through with. So I ended up breaking that off. When I ended that relationship at 34, I think I was so relieved that I didn't make the wrong call. It really was about, okay, this is a guy, he already had one child. He was really wanting more children. He was 11 years older than me. So he was feeling the biological clock, I think even more so than I was. I mean, he was ready within like three months of dating. He was ready to move in and get married. And that was too fast for me. But I always felt like I was the one like holding things up. And all I had to do was just kind of release all of my anxiety. And I would poof, like have the life that I dreamed of, except it just wasn't what the person I wanted to do it with. Yeah. It's it's so funny that you say that because I think we don't think about men having a biological clock. And, you know, it's something that was talked about on labor of love. To be honest with you, when I was in the process of casting to do the show, this was something I drilled the producers on because I really did have a biological clock. And if I did it, I knew it was going to be my last shot at meeting someone to start a family with. They assured me over and over again that these men, in fact, were feeling the same biological clock. In retrospect, I'm not so sure that they were. So it's something that I think about, but that's interesting for me then to hear you say there are men out there, in fact, that are feeling it and are the ones kind of putting pressure on the relationship Mm -hmm. to move forward. Mm -hmm. So he would have been like 45. Yeah. Okay. That actually Um, makes sense for me because I I do feel like maybe that's about the time it it hits men if they are wanting that and haven't found it yet. I think for women, it's going to be early mid thirties men. I'm not going to say early forties because been there, done that. And I don't think it's true, but (laughs) mid forties. I'm with you. Yes. Yes. We were supposed to get married in June and I broke up with him in January. So six months before the wedding. And he ended up actually getting married in July. So a month after we were supposed to marry, he married someone else. I mean, that just goes to show it really wasn't about me. It was very much about, he was just ready to go. And women, you know, we, we see women do that all the time that kind of settle. And so that is one of the biggest soapboxes that I have. And this idea that like, we do not have to settle sometimes 
sometimes we see the choice that we're making as failure, but I honestly think it's more of a letdown to be lonely in a relationship that you chose because you were afraid than it is to feel alone, but still hopeful that that right relationship is going to come along. Yes, I I totally agree with you. And I I do think that's a really modern topic that's becoming more and more relevant, certainly in the community we're in, in the single mothers by choice. I have been blown away by just the magnitude of women in this group. And I think that's not the perception that's out there for women who reach a certain age and aren't married and haven't started a family. People have a very different perspective of what that type of woman is than who in fact is taking this journey. So then after that relationship, is that when Mm -hmm. you started to really look into pursuing things or preserving your fertility? No, I wish wish that that's when it was, but um, no. So that relationship ended. And so at that point, dating apps were a thing. They hadn't existed the last time I was single. And I remember someone telling me about it and I was like, no way. And they're like, yeah, yeah, show me your phone. You know, and like we got, we got on there and I was like, oh my gosh, look at all these people. And so I really enjoyed just dating for fun, you know? And so that was, you know, 34, 35, 36. And all of those birthdays really felt okay to me. I mean, I was aware that I was getting older, but I just didn't, I didn't know enough about fertility to be concerned about mine. And it really was when I was 36, that was a harder birthday. For some reason, 35 still felt like it's the midpoint of 30s, right? So I could kind of pretend like it's still on the younger end of 30. But when I turned totally. 36, it was like, okay, now I'm older 30s. Yeah, you're tipping <laughs> to, so to now the 40s. Time to get, yes, <laughs> closer to 40 than 30. So that was the birthday that was, I think, the most difficult. And uh, moving into 2018, I facilitated for several years a group of women here in Austin. It's a goal setting group. And at the beginning of each year, we kind of formed the group. And women would have goals as varied as I'm going to learn Spanish to I'm going to start a business to I'm going to decide if I stay or go in my marriage. You know, it was like very all over the spectrum in terms of the types of goals that we were working on. I decided that year my goal was going to be to meet my person. And I was very sheepish about it because I was like, I know this isn't really a thing that you can like set a goal towards, but the type of action that I was taking was I was seeing a therapist. I was seeing a coach. I was reading all of these books about relationship. I was, you know, meditating and all the things to kind of work on myself. And then I was also just going on a shitload of dates. I don't know. Can I cuss on your show? I don't know. Okay. I'm going to have to mark you explicit, Katie, yes. but that's fine. <laughs> um, so I, and I mentioned before, like I'm a total introvert. It is not my cup of tea to like be constantly out. So in that first part of 2018, I was, like I said, I mean, I was working at like a part-time job. I mean, this was my number one goal and I was prioritizing it over other things. And I was really like daily thinking about, okay, what am I doing today toward coming the person that I know is going to attract the person I want to be with? And it was about halfway through the year that I went on a first date and I was like, yep, this is it. Not the second I met him, but pretty close. I remember we we were on opposite sides of a street corner. Like he was crossing over to meet me. And I remember doing a double take and being like, oh my God, that's a super hot guy. And then I was like, oh, that's my date. Like he's right, walking. Like you've gotten numbed out, anticipating the worst. And suddenly like yes. you actually wanted that to be your date. Yes. <laughs> yes. We've all been there. Okay. So you so, have to tell, just to interject real quick, how many dates do you think you had been on to this point? Right around 50 in that's that year. Insane. So if you calculate from like 2013, it probably was like closer to 200 when you add up the previous years, but just in 2018 and that first half wow. of 2018, there were 50. I mean, this might've just yeah. reinforced your feeling that perseverance pays off. Right. <laughs> and everyone listening, you're going to learn this because one of the things I love about Katie so much is she is the most organized, well thought out and planned person I've ever met. Hearing that you approach dating this way actually makes a lot of sense now. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I definitely do want to say I'm not advocating that this is a good plan. I can tell you the downsides were that it did feel like work. I don't feel like I was able to fully show up. I journal a lot. So I do have kind of a record of, you know, I met Mike at such and such bar, but I couldn't even recall those faces now. I don't remember anything that we talked about. Stories kind of blurred together. It did not put me in the best frame of mind to actually like engage with another human being. It was kind of a failed social experiment for the most part. I got lucky and met a really great person, but he could have been my third date. It was just happenstance that it took that many. I certainly wouldn't say, go do this and you'll meet your person. You know, well, most of us just won't be able to do that, Katie. Like, no, <laughs> and I would never do it again. Stamina, but I, I, I know what you're saying, but the truth is, does a part of you feel like because you went through that, you have more confidence pursuing motherhood the way you are now? Yes and no. So yes, because I do feel like, okay, I know what's out there. I know that I I really attempted to find a person that I felt like I really clicked with. And I do feel like there were probably times where I didn't give enough of a chance to someone because I was feeling so much pressure to like lock this down and like get my life on the trajectory that I thought it should be on. So I probably sat across the table from men that I could have had like a really great relationship with. And because of some stupid little thing that they said, I didn't give it a, enough of a chance because I was on to the next. To answer your question about whether it makes me feel like more prepared to be here. In hindsight, the real lesson is I could not have found that match. I don't think because of the fertility pressure that I was feeling, I couldn't show up for the guy because I was so fixated on this alarm that was going off in my head. And ultimately, I think that that was a big part of the relationship that I did get into with this, you know, number 50 or 51 or whatever he was. Yeah, because I mean, that relationship was really defined by my fertility process that started to happen very shortly after we started dating. And I wonder, would we still be together if if I had been 32 when we met? Maybe. Yeah. Now that I'm older, I think timing is a real thing. Mm -hmm. And I do believe things work out the way they're meant to, you know, but I think you get older, you can look back and see, yeah, you know what, if that had happened now, probably could have worked. Right. But I agree with you. I think that's a real thing for sure. You met this guy. I met this um... guy, great first date. And I was at a place in my dating experience where, I mean, literally I I saved a screenshot of my Google calendar for a long time because I thought it was so funny because it had this guy's name at 5 p.m. We were meeting for a drink and literally at 5.30, it said run to Target because I I was going on a trip the next day and I was flying and I I needed to get like travel size toiletries. And so I had planned to spend 30 minutes with this dude. Oh my gosh. And so I... I thought that was so funny because we ended up spending like four or five hours together that first night. And then I left to go on a trip the very next day. So the whole time I was on the trip, I was sort of just on like this elated feeling of I'd gone through enough first dates that went really well to kind of know, okay, don't get too excited. But I just had this sense that it was different. And I arrived, I was on a yoga retreat in New Mexico. I arrived at the airport and I turning my phone back on and I have two things. One is a text from this guy talking about what an incredible night he had the night before and how he's so excited and he's going to have to contain his excitement because he doesn't want to freak me out too much. And the other thing was the results of an at-home fertility test that I had decided to take really just because the Facebook ad popped up and I was like, oh, that'd be a good idea. I should do that. You know? So it was one of those like prick your finger and put blood on a little card and mail it off. And I really assumed that it was just going to come back and say your average for your age, because why wouldn't it? Right. And I opened it up and it was just right on the line, literally exactly the number that was between diminished and average for my age. But then it also kind of in the paragraph made it clear that this is for your age. And by the way, your age is 
not a, not a great one for thinking about fertility. Okay. Wait. So did you, what, what point did you actually decide to do the test? Was it before that date with him? Because yeah, this is kind so of, I had okay, done, yeah. yeah. So I had done the test several weeks before just because I was like, yeah, you know, I'm about to, I was about to turn 37. So I mentioned 36 was the birthday that kind of like got my attention a little bit. And this was about a month before my um, 37th birthday. And so I just happened to see this Facebook ad for an at-home fertility test. So I just kind of honestly just wanted to get the everything's good check and and be able to walk away from it. And that's totally what I thought was going to happen. Yeah. Um, So instead I ended up like meeting this person and getting this information at the same time. And the information was not, you need to get pregnant today, but it definitely was, this needs to be a bigger priority than it has been for you. You can't keep piddling around. So at that point, I did schedule my first appointment with a reproductive endocrinologist. And I was interested only in preservation because here I am with this great guy. And I'm thinking, who knows how long this is going to take. But at that point, I was really like optimistic. You know, I'm thinking that I think I have the person and I just need the time. So I'm going to freeze some eggs and be on my merry way. And then we will, when we're ready, have these eggs to fall back on if we have trouble conceiving. Because I was still very hopeful that conceiving wouldn't be difficult. But if it was, it's responsible to go ahead and get these eggs for And what happened from there is that the egg freezing did not go well for me. I had a false start with a cycle. They started me on a protocol that was, um, they had done like a baseline ultrasound where they could see about 14 to 16 follicles, which was in line with the results that I had gotten on the, on the blood test. The problem was when I started using the stimulation drugs, only less than half of them were responding to the drug. And so those follicles were going to outpace the rest in a way where if I did an egg retrieval, I was only going to be able to get the number of eggs that were responding quickly versus, Mm -hmm. yeah, versus like half. Yeah. Cohort. Yeah. So we ended up canceling the first cycle. And my doctor at that point had said, we're not going to do this for less than eight eggs. And then the next round I had seven follicles that were developing and he wanted to go ahead and go forward with a retrieval, which was really discouraging to me. Cause I was like, I thought our low bar was eight. And I was really hoping to get to a point where we were doing like 10 or 12. And he was like, no, we don't cancel cycles that are better than the previous that we canceled. <laughs> like if you get even one more, like we, we just go with it because now we've got more than one data point that kind of shows us this is maybe the best your body can do. That was where I really started to feel distrust in my body and discouragement in terms of my fertility. And of course it impacted this relationship. I guess that's another question I had. A lot of women have this question when they're going through fertility procedures. Did you share that with him? Did he Mm -hmm. know right away what you were doing? Mm -hmm. I'm kind of an oversharer. I don't do well with keeping things to myself. So yes, I was telling him and I was being careful in the way that I was sharing, but I was being very honest about, Hey, this is what's happening. And this is not the result that I thought I'd be getting. And it's really stressing me out. And I don't know how to not let it impact this time between the two of us. And I understand it's like way too early for us to be talking about a future together. But I think what I did tell him was if you don't see that potential there for us, then it'd be really great if you would walk away. Don't waste my time because I don't feel like I have a lot of it. So we dated from June until January and then broke up at the beginning of 2019. And it did feel like the main reason was my fertility stress, which was really, really hard for me to feel like this thing that I wanted so badly was right there. And I couldn't show up and like be the person that I wanted to be in that relationship because I was so stressed out. So glad that I'm a journaler because I was able to look back and I was writing things, you know, month one of our relationship before I'd even started all of the egg freezing stuff. I was writing things of kind of two different themes. One was he's 
on paper, exactly the type of person I want to be with. And I'm hoping that kind of like my heart catches up with my head because my head really wants to be in this. And I don't understand why I'm not like feeling all of the feels, Yeah, but they just really weren't there. And then also I just felt like he was not as open with me as I wanted in a partner. And over time it became clear that it wasn't because he was holding back. It was just like, he, that just isn't him really in any of his relationships. I felt like it was a relationship relationship where I was going to be kind of lonely mm-hmm. all, always. Yeah. And so it would have been as wonderful a person as he is. And he is wonderful. There would have been some settling on my part and his as well in order to make it work, just because I had had in my first marriage, a really deep soul connection. And I knew that that was not, we together didn't really have that capacity to build that. It didn't feel like, but like you said, I was very aware as I was in it, it's this or not having a relationship. Right. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. So w- that was the that relationship, then your line in the sand. Yes. Cause that would have been yes. early 2019, right? Yes. Okay. And I did my first IUI in March of 2019. So we broke up in January and two months later I had a donor and I was ready to go. I'm getting pregnant on my own. So there was a very little, like a very short runway of time of me actually thinking about, am I ready to do this? And am I ready to do this on my own? And I had toyed with the idea of like, at what age would I call it and do this with a donor? And like, it's not, it wasn't the first time I'd ever considered it, but for sure it was the first time that I ever was like, this is really what's going to happen to me. Like, right. Is- I was going to say at that point, yeah. <laughs> did you actually, I mean, cause really when this started, it's, you had just connected with a great relationship. You got some fertility results back that surprised you. So now come early 2019, having that relationship not work out, did you feel like you just had shifted into wanting to pursue motherhood or did you still feel like you were kind of behind the eight ball? Totally behind the eight ball. I had a terrible um, reproductive endocrinologist who was very discouraging about what it meant that I was only able to retrieve seven eggs and really looking back what I understand now, I can look at my own medical records and see that I was very average, you know, I mean, maybe on the lower end of average, but I certainly was not have, I didn't have numbers that should have been setting off alarm bells, but this guy really made me feel like I had zero time to waste. And basically I had reached a point where it didn't really matter what I wanted as much as I needed to just grasp for whatever I could get. Like he really made me feel like I had run out of time. I had played the game wrong. I was, I had lost And now my consolation prize was going to be like, pick a donor and start throwing some sperm in there and just see what happens. Yeah. And and that's awful because no one wants to be in this position anyway. And it's so hard to hear that. And I know if I've had that experience, I actually went to that doctor when I was in Austin. So I know exactly who you're talking about. Oh, I forgot that. Yes. Oh my gosh. I went to my OBGYN. So I lived in Austin for a while, for those of you that don't know. And I was kind of flooding my fertility stuff between my doctor here in Chicago and doing the monitoring in Austin. And he made me cry. That was really the first experience I had in being so judged and just given so little consideration or sensitivity. He really pressured me. He kept saying about the guy, like, is he Mr. Right or Mr. Right now? You got to figure this out. And, and anyway, right now (laughs) on ice, no, and it's awful, but unfortunately so many women have these stories. And I think it's one of the things that I appreciate about you, how you've been able to put, you know, all the madness into some sort of method, right? Yes. Because I totally feel for what you're sharing right now. And I think a lot of women do, even when you do your research, it's so hard to start going through the 
this process. It's so foreign to anything that you've ever experienced before. Then you add in all the emotions of it and right. all the unexpected. And I think doctors forget that sometimes. They forget what you do know and don't know. I think sometimes they forget you're an actual person and this is a really big deal. This is one of the mm-hmm. biggest life decisions you'll ever make. And so it's like mm-hmm. such a shame to hear that. Where did right. you go from there? Well, so what was not part of the conversation was what I actually wanted. No one was asking me, what are your goals? Like, what are the deepest desires of your heart? Like, what are the things that you really feel like are most important to you? Like that wasn't anywhere on the table. It was, if you want to be a mom and he didn't say this verbatim, but this is kind of how I interpreted. I tried to preserve my fertility and that quote unquote, didn't work. The idea that those eggs were worthless is a total bullshit. Yeah. They were absolutely worth the time and the money. And I could have done another round and I could have really had a cohort of eggs that could have led to pregnancy later in my life had I wanted to wait. But he felt, he made me feel like I didn't have the opportunity to wait and that no longer was it even an option for me to take the time to go back on Bumble and like try to meet someone, right? So I just had to try to get pregnant. I mean, that was, that was how I felt. So I chose a donor and two months out of a breakup with a person that I really cared about and, you know, thought was going to be the person I was trying to conceive with a donor. And so I did an IUI in March of 2019. And that first IUI, I actually had a chemical pregnancy. So I had taken a pregnancy test at home post IUI and it was negative. So I was, and I was really okay with that. Like I wasn't really ready to be pregnant anyway. Then I went in after, cause they require you to come in for a blood test and it showed enough HCG in my blood to indicate that something had happened. So I really took that as a positive. Cause it's like, okay, well, this wasn't the shot. It kind of felt like we were jump starting things like, okay, my body knows how to get pregnant. Like the yes. sperm and the egg, like something happened. And yes. so this is good. So March, I did the IUI, um, April, I did another IUI by May. I was back sort of spending a lot of time with the guy that I had been dating. We were just sort of trying to keep things casual and kind of just enjoying each other's company, understanding that he knew that I was trying to get pregnant. And when that happened, we didn't really know for sure how that was going to feel for either one of us, but we assumed that would sort of be the end of whatever was happening between us. So I did another IUI in May, didn't work. By June, he was in a place where he was wanting to have kind of a deeper conversation about maybe he would be the donor. Like maybe we would kind of put the cart before the horse, have the baby planning to co-parent and then just see either a relationship is going to develop or we will have a platonic relationship where we share this child. You know, we had started that conversation and he really freaked out. And he was like, I need a couple weeks. I need some space from this. And he just really disappeared. And we went for the longest amount of time since we'd met, not speaking like several weeks, not a peep. And based on the conversation we'd had, and based on that total withdrawal of any kind of contact kind of assumed that meant that it was off the table. So even though I had planned not to do an IUI that June, it had been two or three weeks. I hadn't heard anything from the guy. I had one vial of sperm left at the clinic and I was ready to leave that clinic. I was, it was the second donor I had chosen and I didn't love the donor. And I was like, Oh my God, I just, I was feeling so much anxiety about fertility in general. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to go in and like throw that last vial of sperm in there. It's not going to work, but then it'll be closure with that donor, that doctor, maybe IUI in general, maybe I'll move to IVF. I don't know. I was not in a good place emotionally. And it just felt like doing something felt better than doing nothing. So I went through with the IUI. I immediately regretted it. I consciously got in a pool, which is not like terrible to do, but I mean, you're not really supposed to get in like chlorinated water. I think I had wine that night. I know I took ibuprofen. Like I did all the things that you're not supposed to do if you're trying to get pregnant because I just didn't 
think it was going to work, didn't want it to work. And guess what? (laughs) It worked and I got pregnant. So that was pretty traumatic. I kind of thought that that double pink line on a pregnancy test would be like such a surreal, magical moment that it would just trump anything else going on in my life. And in my mind, that moment, no matter what the circumstance was like a Hallmark movie that, you know, it was just going to be right. I'm having a baby. And that's not at all how I felt. I was pretty devastated. Oh, let me back up though. The day or two before I got that positive pregnancy test, when I was still in the two-week wait and it was too early to know if I was pregnant or not, the guy reached out. He had been in LA, some business stuff, but also visiting some family. And part of his intent there was talking with his family about this decision. Would we potentially do this together? So he wanted to come back and have a real conversation about logistics. Not that he was all in, but just like, let's talk more seriously about what this would look like. And I had to tell him... I did an IUI, but don't worry. It's not going to work. This is the fourth one and none of them work. And then it did work. It was really, really, really hard for a couple of weeks. There was a lot of grief. Yeah. I was going to say, it's just like, you know, I think sometimes that's how we feel in this circle. You kind of just feel like you're getting blow after blow, right? Mm -hmm. How did you even start to process that? Because Mm -hmm. you'd been through a lot of the unexpected already at that Mm -hmm. point. And then the minute you were Mm -hmm. counting on it, kind of not working out, it does. (laughs) What did that do to you? Yeah, I was a mess for several days and I had a trip planned. So I spent a few days in Portland, Maine. And I remember going to this really cute little boutique and I bought this cutest little baby outfit, this little kind of like jumper muslin thing with whales on it, a little sun hat. And the woman asked me like, is this a gift? And I said, yes, because I I couldn't be like, oh no, I'm it's for me. I'm having a baby. Like that just felt like I'd be lying, even though that actually was the truth. The lie felt more like truth was like, yeah, "Yeah, for someone else. It feels like it's for someone else. And so when I came back from that trip, I had my first ultrasound. And so I went in and there was no fetal pole, which is what eventually becomes the baby. And at that point, we really should have been able to see a heartbeat. And it just wasn't like, there was never a moment where they like looked at the screen and said, there's your baby. It was always kind of like, where's your baby? Like we don't see baby. And because I hadn't used a trigger shot, they weren't certain on the timing of like when exactly ovulation and implantation and all those things happened. So there was kind of this grace period of like a few days where we're like, well, maybe come back. Maybe we just miscalculated and you're just a few days behind where we thought you were. I just knew I didn't cry. It was a letdown because I had worked so hard to like get myself excited, but it was the, it made the most sense in the world to me. It was like, oh, okay. There's, there's not a baby. Like that makes way more sense then there is a baby. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I didn't think about it that way, but it, it almost, everything you were feeling then suddenly made sense, you know, yes. besides just having a sense of relief, it kind of made sense. Maybe why you weren't feeling an attachment to the situation. Yeah. And I'm so thankful to that experience because that was the moment in my story where things really pivoted. And I was like, okay, we are cutting the crap. I let the guy know I, I care about you a lot and I would be interested in pursuing a relationship, but I don't want this halfway negotiation of donor and co-parenting and whatever, like I, it's all or nothing. And I get that it's probably nothing and that's fine. But basically like come to me when you want the whole thing or, or don't. I left the doctor and found a new clinic. I chose a different donor. And at that point, that was the first time where I really started to feel, I was still very anxious about my fertility, but I started to feel more hopeful because I had gotten pregnant now twice through IUI. And even though it hadn't worked out either time, I knew my body could get pregnant. And I just felt like, okay, stars are aligning, better doctor, better donor. Now I'm feeling more ready. I found this amazing donor who just felt like exactly the right fit for me. And I was certain that as soon as my body recovered from the miscarriage, because it did take a couple of months that I was just going to get pregnant on the next try. And sometimes when you do 
do a DNC after a miscarriage, that kind of helps flush everything out. And there's some data to show that women do have a slightly easier time getting pregnant immediately following a loss. And so I was kind of hanging my hat on that. Now I'm ready and the universe sees that and it's going to work out. Yes. So I did two more IUIs in the fall of 2019 and neither one of them worked. That was really hard for me to kind of integrate that into the story that I was writing for myself, because to me, it just made total sense that it was going to work and then it didn't. And that was when I decided I needed to move to IVF and do more kind of aggressive. I think just because of the details of my situation, I just started with IVF. A lot of women do start with IUI. Why did you start there? And if you could go back and do it again, would you still start there? Would you go right to IVF? I think I started there because I had had the experience of freezing eggs and according to the doctor, it hadn't gone well. So I would, I saw myself as not a good candidate for IVF. And the doctor kind of said, if you want to get pregnant right now, I'm I'm relatively certain we can make that happen for you. You just got to get on it. And so he was really advocating for IUI immediately. And I wasn't ready to get pregnant immediately, but I was thinking, I don't have, I can't wait because now I have this little piece of information that shows that maybe IVF isn't going to work as well for me. And so I just thought I'm a poor responder to fertility drugs that are necessary to do IVF. So my only chance is to like quickly get pregnant as soon as possible before it's too late. And what I wasn't thinking about was it was never a goal of mine to just have one child ASAP through a donor. Really what I wanted was to preserve my ability to have children with a partner down the line and to have more than one child. I knew that I wanted more than one child. So IUI never made sense for me because had that pregnancy been viable. I mean, right now I would have an infant, but I wouldn't even be at a place yet where I'd be like looking to do another egg retrieval or anything like that. And I probably would have been eliminating my, my option to have a second child or to ever have a child with a partner because that pregnancy would have sort of eaten up the last of right. my Yeah. Oh my gosh, so true. Years. That's why you mentioned this earlier. And it sounds like you're going there with this new doctor, but it's funny. Cause I don't know that I asked myself that either. Cause I think what happens, you find out you're kind of closing in on the end of your timeline to have kids and you panic and you just do whatever you can. But you said something before that is shocking that I never asked myself. And that what is your goal with this? I think you just think, mm-hmm. well, to have a baby or to be able to have a baby later. And you don't even know until you go through it, that there's a lot of different ways to approach that whole process. So at what point did you right. actually ask yourself what you wanted and find out that there was a different way to approach preserving your fertility in alignment mm-hmm. with that vision? That's a great question. And I wish that I had been the one to think of it and that I had been the one to ask myself the question. I will say that that is the kind of the crux of my whole desire to coach other women is that we need to be asking ourselves this question. And I didn't know that I needed to to ask myself this, but really the turning point for me was, and I will name drop here because she's fabulous and everybody should go look her up. But the day I walked into the office of Dr. Natalie Crawford, who just has a completely different mindset in terms of reproductive endocrinology and just women in general. I mean, she, she has an amazing podcast called as a woman and really all of the work that she does is about women, not necessarily having it all, but having what they want. Right. And not having to conform. I mean, she's the a medical professional who's changed fields. She started in emergency medicine and everybody was kind of patting her on the back for making this choice. She dropped it and walked away and added years of schooling to her life because it wasn't a right fit for her. And she, since I've known her has worked in three different clinics, like she quits jobs when it's just not working for her. And she 
doesn't worry about that. It's a small field and what people are going to think and not, you know, all the things. I mean, she just is really paving a way not to have it all, but to have exactly what is the most important to her. And yeah. so the day I walked into her office for my consult, that's exactly what she said. Okay. What, what do you want? What is most important to you? And we really narrowed it down to my first goal was to be a mother. My second goal was to have more than one child. And my third goal was to preserve the opportunity to have a child biologically with a partner. But that was the one that I was most willing to let go if needed. But she was really hopeful that we could accomplish all three, but not doing what I had been doing. Did you have those answers immediately at the tip of your tongue? Or did you have to think about it? Oh, we sat in her office. I cried. We talked for like yes, an hour. I mean, that's what I was wondering. it was like a counseling session <laughs> because you almost forget. You think, well, my dream didn't happen. It didn't work out. So you just stop thinking about, well, what is my plan now? So I love that she asked you that. And I was so curious because you say it so clearly now, but how did you get and to as that soon point? As, you know, yeah. As soon like, how as did you figure it out? Clear. I mean, just through conversation, I had done a lot of thinking at that point about what was really important to me. And I do think journaling helps a lot and being able to sort of dump what's in my mind and then go back and look at it when I'm in a different frame of mind and ask myself, do you still agree with you? Or is this really, was that just a bad day? Or like, how does it feel to kind of read what came up for you at that point? Um, So that's been a really helpful tool. Yeah. I think at that point I was pretty clear on what I wanted and it felt super vulnerable to say because it felt like way too much. I mean, I'm going to cry just like saying it, like it felt like way too much to ask for. Right. Yeah. Like this idea that after all of these cycles of IUI and all of these relationships and all of these dates and all of these things that, you know, here I was, you know, at this point I was 38. And for me to say out loud, I don't just want to be a mom like any way I possibly can. Like I really see myself with two children and I'd love for at least one of those to be with a partner and for her to say, okay, that's what we're going to work towards. Yeah. Like Like she gave you hope back. I I think it's something that's so important in getting through the ups and downs of this, Mm -hmm. but I can also see how given the experience you had had, I wonder, did you believe her? Like, did you? I did. Yeah, you did. did. You found the right doctor. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I did. And I trusted her like every step of the way. Did that give you a bit of a reality check to start trusting yourself again. Mm -hmm. And I knew when I walked into her office that I was walking in for a more aggressive approach than what I had been taking. I knew that I was there to talk about IVF. Earlier in my journey, I thought IVF was for people who who were infertile, right? Who had fertility struggles. And at that point, I really was just starting to consider that maybe that was me. The reason why I felt like I needed IVF is because trying to conceive with a donor is so expensive because you're paying for the sperm on top of the procedures. You don't get to just try for free. But also I started to have that awareness that like having one is the amount of time that it's going to take for pregnancy and postpartum means that I don't know where I'm going to be sitting when I'm ready for number two. So it was more about the second child that I wanted, where I really started to look at my approach versus like, I felt pretty confident that a doctor was going to be able to get me there for baby number one. It was more the long game that I started to look at. Now you're feeling really good. You've got your plan. You found your doctor. I love the idea that it's not just about how having a baby, it's how do you want to start a family? Yes. What happens next? So our approach was that we needed more eggs. And so our first approach was to do a second egg retrieval. And then because most likely that number was also going to be a relatively low number of eggs, we agreed ahead of time. We were going to also thaw the eggs from the previous retrieval, which at this point was almost a year prior. And we were going to put, literally put all of my eggs in one basket and fertilize them all at once. The likelihood that 12 eggs was going to result in one genetically normal 
embryo was maybe, maybe not. But for the first time, we're really talking about egg quality and how many eggs we need on the outside of my body in order to accomplish these long-term goals rather than just like have a baby right now. We were looking more towards the future. So we did that. I did the second retrieval. I got another seven eggs. We had 12 total that we fertilized, all of them fertilized. And after the five days, eight of them were still growing. And so we were able to freeze and biopsy eight embryos. And at that point I had, I understood the statistics and I still was really hopeful that I'd get one genetically normal. And my greatest hope in the world was maybe I'll get two. And if I am just the luckiest girl in the world, I'll get three because that gives me my two kids. Plus if a transfer doesn't work. So three was like shooting for the back fence. So I got my information back and I had five genetically normal embryos. That's amazing. Yeah. Someone that's gone through it. Did you like pass out? Oh my God. I don't know what I would do. I was so confused because I had, I like, I understood enough about what normally happens that it, but that was the information that I needed. It was like, okay, my egg quantity is diminishing and it's hard to get a decent number of eggs. So I need to really work on getting all the eggs I'm ever going to need. But when I do, I can trust that quality is relatively high. So I should be able to make good embryos out of whatever eggs I get. So at that point I had my embryos and I knew that most likely baby number one was going to come from that cohort of five. And I've told this story on my podcast and I won't go deeply into it here, but there was one that sort of inexplicably this line of data, I looked at it and I was like, that's my son. And it wasn't the highest rated embryo. It wasn't like, I, I have no explanation for why I felt that way. But the other four, I was like, this is such useful information and it feels so good to have these. And I could see myself potentially having these children, but like that one, I will transfer at some point because I don't know why, but that line of data looks like my son to me. We've said this before, but even in dating, there's sometimes just, you can line three guys up that are kind of the same, but there's one that you're like, yeah, that's the guy I'm going to date. And it's so Mm -hmm. wild. I think it's one of the crazy things about this journey to realize it applies to this process too. There are just things that you know, and you can maybe rationalize later, but that's that's not why you're making the decision. So I wonder, did you actually share that with your doctor and did she let you pick which embryo you transferred? Well, so at this point I was thinking preservation, like I wasn't ready. I mean, I was not ready to get like what she offered to me that I just had no idea was available to someone in my situation was you don't have to get pregnant right this minute. We can get the information we need to know whether or not you're going to have a relatively easy time getting pregnant when you're ready. All of a sudden the ball was back in my in terms of getting to decide what I wanted my life to look like instead of just having to cling to, you know, whatever was available to me. So it went from this desperate sort of scarcity mode to, okay, I'm creating these embryos to create the future that I want. And then I'm going to take a breather. So that was, you know, December of 2019 was when I got the embryo news back. And I thought about it for about a month and I started to feel like, you know what? I think I am ready. But at that time, it was still a little bit out of fear. I was feeling way better because I had these embryos. And so I knew, okay, one of these five, I will be a mom with my own genetics. And maybe I've got a hard road between now and then, but that part has cleared up for me. But remember the other two goals were like, have more than one. And then that third piece was, I want to preserve the opportunity to have a biological child with a partner. And that was where I I was seeing a reproductive psychologist, which I would highly recommend to anybody who's on this journey, because it was very helpful. And she kind of helped me to see that I already felt such attachment to my embryos who were donor conceived, you know, they were my egg and a donor sperm. And I had mentioned to the psychologist, it's hard to think about, even though I want the experience of having a child with a partner, baby number one, I really think is this 
one embryo, you know, if I were to find a partner and have a second child, how would baby number one feel about my brother or sister has a dad and I have a stepdad or like, but I don't know my biological father. And would that be hard for him? So I was already worrying about this child that didn't even exist yet. Well, cause you're, and- you're meant to be a mom. <laughs> that was one of your, if you needed a sign, which you didn't, that was one right there that you're already thinking like that. Right. So what the psychologist said was, have you ever considered egg donation? How would you feel about using a donor egg if you meet a partner? And at that point, you're not able to use your own eggs. And I've thought about egg donation. If I get to a point in my fertility journey where, you know, that is something that is necessary in order for me to be a mom that I absolutely would consider it. But I didn't think about it in that way where like, oh, I could have one child that's my egg and donor sperm and another child that's a donor egg and my partner's sperm. And then that's kind of a cool way to create a family. That is kind of cool, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I never so, thought about that. I, I kind of I know that. it opened. It just, it took the pressure off in a way where I was, it really allowed me to move forward, to feel like I was ready to move forward with a transfer and kind of let go with a sense of like openness to whatever the universe was going to bring my way. Cause I don't, at this point, I don't even know that the hypothetical partner is ever going to show up or in a time frame where I'm interested in having a kid or where he is, or he may already have three kids. Oh, like, he's showing previous, up. Katie. You know. It's going to be our next podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the end of the story. So I decided I was ready and I called my doctor and, and we were all set to go. We were going to do the transfer right before the transfer. I mean, I'm talking like the day before I, I had the meds in my house and I was going to start the meds to do the transfer. Transfer. I, I was having a conversation with the guy. So the guy that I had dated back in 2018 is like still in the picture, but we're just <laughs> friends at this point. He was a huge support and just like a really important person in my life. And I was just sort of expressing all of this. I had felt so good that I had accomplished these first two goals and I was sad about the third goal, but it was going to be okay. And you know, the third goal being preserve the ability to have children with a partner down the, down the road. And we hung up and then the next day he called me and he said, I want to do something for you. I know you're going to say no. So I don't want you to say anything. I want you to think about this. I would like to pay for you to do another transfer. If you can get them frozen, then you will have that opportunity. That partner comes along, you would have the eggs. Of course, I wanted to say no, because I was like, what kind of weird trap is this? Like, this is, this sounds way too good to be true. So, um, you know, I thought about it. It was a lot, but ultimately part of my kind of spiritual practice is that I do affirmations, like daily affirmations. And one of my affirmations that I was using at the time was I always, always, always have more than enough. And so it was the more morning after that conversation where I had decided I was going to just turn him down because it just didn't make sense that someone would give me that type of money. And then I was kind of going through these affirmations and I hit, so the way I do it is I record myself saying the affirmations and I listen to my own voice. And so I got to this, this one of, I always have enough and it just burst into tears. Cause I was like, here is someone who really cares about me trying to give me more than enough. And why would I say no when that's something I'm like actively trying to call into my life. So now I have more than enough embryos, more than enough eggs, more than enough money to make this happen. Like it just all kind of fell into place. And so I ended up in February, instead of doing the transfer, actually on the exact day, my transfer was supposed to be, I did another third egg retrieval. And that time I ended up getting 12 eggs, which was the same number that I had gotten from the first two put together. So I was able to freeze those eggs and it just opened up this space for me. I really could have it all. Now I could go date for two years and see what happens. I really could decide what I wanted period without consideration of my clock anymore. You're kind of on the other side now, but the truth is you went through a lot just to get to that point. What I always tell people, you have to just keep moving forward, right? Because if you had stopped at any point, you wouldn't have gotten to that point where suddenly Mm -hmm. you were getting that third piece of the plan. The other thing that you said that 
really made me think on this is why is it so hard for us as women to receive? If a guy was offered that, he would be like, Hey, thanks. And, and right. not <laughs> right. it. But as, as women, it's so true. We want these things. And if it's being given to you and certainly not in a way that you expected, then right. I'm sure that's not what you're expecting. Why is it so hard for us to just right. say I was yes like, and thank you? Obviously, this is a trap. Obviously, we're just like we feel like we don't deserve it. it. Like yes. why? Like why would he do that? Like I no, I don't deserve that. Yet you would. You know, it's like we are so giving to other people. I mm-hmm. love that. That is how this sort of wrapped up for yes. you. I think it's amazing. But I, I just want to make sure you're giving yourself credit because the truth is, a lot of people would have given up before you got to that point. And what he said to me in response when I was really resistant to accept his gift is two things that really stood out to me. One, he said, "You want." this more than I have ever wanted anything in my life. And it's been such a gift to see someone have so much passion in a direction. And it makes me want to participate in that because I don't have anything in my life that feels that way to me, the way that I can tell this feels to you. So that was one of the things that he said. And then the other thing he said was because it felt, I mean, this is a significant, it was about $15,000. I mean, this is a significant amount of money. He said, Okay, so you're not in a career or in a place in your life where you're creating that type of wealth. But the type of wealth that you are creating is you have the type of relationships where people want to help you in this way. I want to share in this process with you because it's so important to you. And so he just really pointed out that like my wealth is in my relationships. And because I've invested in those relationships, the result is that I don't kind of, we, we build wealth in different ways. Yeah, he may I have mean, a much bigger bank account, but you know, I, I don't, I don't know. No, it's the like real sum wealth. That up, but. It, it, yeah, no, it, it really is. And I think that's amazing that he recognized that. And honestly, it's probably because he's at a certain point in his, his life and mm-hmm. he's achieved these things and realized there's still a void that he sees you filled that he can't attain. But I have to just go back and say, when you said that, it gave me chills and kind of made me want to cry because it's, <laughs> it's so true and it's so amazing and you so deserve it. And I just love that that got recognized for you in the best way anyone could possibly imagine. There's no greater gift and kudos to you for accepting it because I know that's not an easy thing to do, mm-hmm. but I'm going to like save that segment and just replay it because it honestly gave me chills. <laughs> I It, it truly was such an amazing gift and an amazing, like an amazing gift for me to kind of process through why someone would be generous and that way with me and just the importance of being generous with whatever we have. You yeah. know, I don't, I don't have that $15,000 that I can give to someone, but I have all kinds of other things I can give. And, but I mean, that's part of my podcast and coaching is that like, how can I give people some of what I wish I'd had along the way? That's like the perfect segue. That is what I say about you to other people all the time. I say like, Katie knows so much. She's been through so much. She's documented information about this journey in such a user-friendly way that I know has taken so much time effort and you share it so readily. So a couple things, I would love you to tell us a little bit about how you've kind of taken this experience and turned it into something that you can share. And if you want to give us an update where you're at today. Okay. So we kind of left off in like February, 2020, where, you know, the world was my oyster and now I've got frozen eggs, frozen embryos. And all of a sudden it was really appealing to do a transfer because I got to do a transfer because I wanted to not because I had to, or I was stressed out or anything. So I wasn't 
necessarily ready to like pull the trigger immediately, but I felt like I am going to transfer one of these embryos. And then COVID hit and fertility clinics closed and there was a huge sense of relief and I could just kind of take a breather. So actually COVID in that sense was a huge gift to me. Also a huge gift in COVID is all of the sudden I'm going from the daily grind. I was just at home working from home and I really thrive on, I I am an introvert and I, I, I love learning. I love reading. I love studying. I love creating. And I'd had this idea for the podcast for a while, but hadn't done anything about it. And so my first episode came out March 18th of 2020. So pretty much immediately when we went into lockdown, I went into, okay, I'm going to make this happen. So I did, I started the podcast and I think what I thought I was going to find was a lot of women whose stories sounded very similar to mine. And I did, but I also found like huge variety in the stories and that was kind of unexpected. And the more women I talked to, the more I started to have this sense that I want this woman to connect with this woman over here, because while I can't necessarily relate to that thing that she's sharing, like they have it in common. So I began just sort of almost like a matchmaker for right. women in this. Like I just started like randomly trying to connect people and you know, I've done it to you this week. Like, I mean, hey, here's someone's the best gift. I, contact them. I love you for it. <laughs> and I just started to think about, well, how else can I connect with this group of women and this demographic and, you know, talk about these issues. And the podcast was huge. And I knew that that was reaching a broader audience. Not at first, at first it was reaching like my dad and two other people, but you know, over time it, I could see that the momentum was building. And one of the things that was so instrumental to me in my own process was working with, I did a couple different like group coaching programs and then working working one-on-one with the coach and having people help me see my story from kind of a, a more outside perspective instead of like being so in it. So we were still in COVID and I was still needing to kind of keep my mind occupied to keep myself from going crazy. So I did, I ended up doing a life coach training program. I don't know if I'm just trying to understand how coaches think or if I'm actually going to take this somewhere. And then once I was through it, I decided that I was going to give it a try. And I thought it would be really hard. I thought it'd be really hard to find people who were even interested. I thought it'd be hard to explain what it was that I was offering. And it's really blown me away the relationships that I've developed with my clients. And also the fact that like there is such a demand. One of the reasons that I want to do podcasts to continue this message, really don't know until you know, and people aren't talking about it. So it's unfortunate that you're not getting your experience until you're actually in it. And, you know, you can kind of look back and say, well, gosh, if I would have known this, I would have approached the whole thing differently. I know what you're doing helps other women not only have a much better experience, but actually get the story they want. That's huge. I think that's the, the biggest thing yes. you could you yes. could do with this. I think it's so amazing. So it doesn't it's surprise so- me. At, that doesn't <laughs> surprise me at all. Uh, you're going to have one for a while, I think. So. so I love what you just said about having the story that you want. And just the idea that we absolutely can have a story that feels so good to us. And it may not be the one that we were imagining. And it, you know, it may look completely different than what we thought was going to be our ideal, but that we can find ourselves in a place where we wouldn't have it any other way. And that's exactly where I am. And so the other piece that I should mention is that I'm actually five months pregnant. Um, I was trying so so hard not to like spoil (laughs) a surprise. She's pregnant guys. Yes. Yes. So March, 2020, I started my podcast probably around May, June. I started my coaching. And in July, I realized I am really ready. I felt so certain that that one embryo was my son. And I honestly felt a sense, and this is very woo-woo. So I don't know if this is going to resonate with people. I felt like he was ready for me. I was in the way. He was like, you know, anytime, like whenever you're ready, I mean, you take your time, but like... (laughs) 
This is I a go. Like I- <laughs> Wulu is really what matters at the end of the day. I'll yes. usually back it up with rationalization, but it's always the woo that gets me to the decision in the first place. So I'm, well, on, I'm on your team. I'll tell you one of the things that really kind of tipped it over the edge is that I started dating again and it was hard because COVID, but I ended up meeting more than one guy that I was like, oh my God, at, at any other point in my life, I would be so excited about this person. And I would absolutely allow myself to kind of go down the rabbit hole of this could be my forever person. And I just kept thinking, about my embryo. And that just, I was like, okay, uh, he like all of a sudden I have a man in my life. It's very clear. And he has a tiny little cluster of cells in downtown (laughs) Austin. And like, I need to go get him. And so Um, so I did, so I did the transfer in July. I was certain it was going to work and it did. I got my first very, very faint positive pregnancy test on my 39th birthday day of my transfer. I got dressed up and like did my hair and like put, I mean, I know everyone in the clinic cause you get there and you change into like a paper gown. Right. So right. everyone probably thought I had like something really important happening after, but I really like showed up for my transfer. Like it was just the most important date of my life. And I knew, I knew that I was going home. I love that with my guy, you know, like I just, I knew it. And so. So it's been easy. It's been smooth. I didn't have morning sickness. I've had just the best, easiest pregnancy. And every time I go to the doctor, I am always, there's that little twinge of like, oh my God, this could be the moment where I find out terrible news, but I'm never surprised in the same way that I wasn't surprised with that pregnancy that didn't materialize. I'm also never surprised that everything looks perfect with this one. Cause it just, it's what's meant, meant to, to be. be. I love yeah. that. I don't know if you can see it cause you're in it, but when you're recounting this story, honestly, it does feel like a Hallmark movie to me. <laughs> it might not be the original script that you bought, right? But it really does. Like the way it everything does. kind of lined up and then ultimately you have the feelings you hoped to have. And even that has kind of lined up even weirdly with the pandemic getting in there and kind of being something that actually benefited you in a weird way. And now you're coming out the other side of this with this whole new part of yourself being pregnant, mm-hmm. entering motherhood, but also having your coaching practice and having the podcast. I think that's really cool. To me, that's as good as it gets, honestly. Oh, absolutely. So congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay. Well, I so appreciate your time. Truly. I've been so excited to talk to you. Maybe just to kind of wrap up knowing <laughs> what you know now and having been through all of this, what's your best advice to anyone just starting out? That is a question I've thought a lot about. And um, I, we definitely have hit upon these themes throughout our conversation, but I would say the number one thing is you've got to find the right doctor and the right team to work with you. If you feel uncomfortable, unheard, like your goals and your values are not being honored. If you feel pressured in any way, or like your treatment is happening to you without your Mm -hmm. consent or your understanding, or that your questions aren't valid, you got to get out of there. I mean, and I know there's a sunk cost to leaving and starting over and the moving clinics, it's expensive, but it could cost you a lot more than money to be in the wrong place. So I think that that is one of the most important things. And then I think just the idea of like community and surrounding yourself with other people who understand what you're going through. I think it's really important to find people, and that's the whole goal of my podcast is I want women to be able to listen and and understand that they're not alone. And more than just listening, I hope that they're then going to follow that person on Instagram and sending them a DM and getting into a conversation and connecting because I think those connections are so, so, so important. And then the last thing you really need to go in and get your own numbers and your own information and find out what's going on in your own body. Because, you know, if I had believed the statistics on seven eggs, you know, at at one point I was like, you might as well just throw those in the trash. Like, what are they going to do? 
you know, (laughs) it's so important to pursue your own path instead of constantly comparing to what happened to someone else. Great advice. That list could go on. I'm sure sure because (laughs) you've learned so much, but where, where can everyone find you and what else can they kind of learn from you? I know you have your site and your podcast and your coaching practice. Can you just share a little bit about what you offer and how people can connect? Sure. Yeah. The best way to find me is probably either my website or Instagram. The website is www.singlegreatestchoice.com. And then Instagram is at single underscore greatest underscore choice. Easy to connect with me, either of those places. The podcast is a great place just to kind of hear more. I'm about to launch season two, which will start in the new year, 2021. And it will run pretty much from the beginning of the year until my almost up to my due date. I have plans for 12 episodes and um, I'm due in April. Somewhere on the other side of baby, I will come back to coaching. I'm just not putting any pressure on myself to start back at a certain date because I have no idea what postpartum is going to look like. Yeah. I mean, that sounds like season three, Katie. (laughs) <laughs> the postpartum season. Yes. Yeah, I, I love that. And I'll link Katie's information in the show notes. Go to her website. She shares a lot of her resources. So appreciate you sharing all of this, Katie. And I'm so excited for you. Definitely looking forward to season two and season three. I want to know what it's like really on the other side. Um, I'm not sure about season three. There might be, you know, crying baby in the background of every episode. Fine. It's just crying baby. We get it. Everyone will get it. Any last thoughts you want to share? No, I think we've covered it. I'm really grateful for the opportunity to, to talk with you. And I just just appreciate you um, creating this space. I think it's Thank really you, important. Katie. Thank you. I, I can't wait for the next check-in. I'll be thinking of you. Thank you. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Life Unscripted podcast. Follow me on Instagram at Christy Katzman to learn more about my journey as well as upcoming guests. Also, please help support this movement by taking just a moment to rate and review this show in iTunes. Not only does it help more people find the show, but it gives us a bigger voice to empower more women. So until next time, I'm sending you all my love and light as you navigate the unexpected to live your very best life.